Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Jayanelli, and I know where Duretti on Kaladesh is coming from. I'm Andrew Weissel, and I was right that those arts were mostly for a Masterpiece series kind of product. I'm Brian Dawes, and I am partying like Amara got a new card, because she did. <laughs> I'm Ashley, and I am tired. So it isn't preview season for us yet, so any of the cool stuff you're looking at on Monday, we have not yet seen. We are recording this the Friday before preview season, so we have not seen any of the super cool stuff you have. With that said, we have seen a lot of neat things, and we're going to be going through all the preview cards that we wanted to talk about from this past week, from PAX On. But before we get to previews, we just wanted to mention that we're getting a new novel by Greg Wiseman, but not just one new novel, two new novels. And in addition to that, we're still going to have web stories for each set that comes out. People were very worried over the PAX weekend as to whether or not Magic Story, as in the article series, was going to continue. Now that we have some novels in the future, the answer is yes. I believe Blake said that they're going to be essentially different points of view. I'm not sure exactly how it's going to shake out, but we'll have to see. It wasn't clear. There was a statement made that whether you only read the web stories or only read the novel, you're still going to know the outcome of Milk, that third set that we don't have an official title for, but the big bolus fight. So that's interesting, and I don't know how that's quite going to work. So we'll find out, I guess. But it's good to see that the introduction of novels isn't getting rid of the web stories, and they're going to kind of work as a supplement. It is worth noting that the novel for that set, simply titled Ravnica, is currently available for pre-order on Amazon.com, both as an ebook and as a hardcover. It's going to be out in April next year. For those of you who have not been around very long, and when I say very long, I mean the last decade or so, this coming year, as in the next 12 months, we're already looking at more Vorthos products being released than any time since, like, 2005, 2006, when they were releasing seven novels a year. Because we have a whole lot coming up, and these new novels just add to that slate. It's going to be a pretty cool time to be a Vorthos in just a few months. Moving on to previews. The first card we want to talk about is Conclave Tribunal. So remember back all the way a couple weeks to Corset <laughs> 2019. There was a card in that set, Isolate, one of the rares designed to be a sideboard card for modern. That card had art that we were told was stolen from Guilds of Ravnica. That was the art of the Selesnian folks pointing their staves and whatnot down at a pair of criminal hands in rebuke. So the card that that very likely got taken from is Conclave Tribunal, which has what could be interpreted as the same art description. We have a bunch of Selesnian mages with their staves and a goblin hunched down in front of them who looks like that's the creature that's getting exiled here because this is our O-Ring variant. So it's neat to see a similar art description done in a slightly different point of view by two totally different artists. Isolate was done by Victor Adame Minguez, and the Conclave Tribunal art is Seb McKinnon. Victor has a lot of brighter, vibrant colors. Seb is a lot more washed out, a lot more textured. 
one thing that does bug me about this art, about both of these pieces of art, is that neither of these artworks depict a tribunal. Jay, you're fired. <laughs> I think you could have tried a little harder with that joke. <laughs> Our next card is Narcomoeba. So a lot of people have been up in arms about Narcomoeba, our reprint from Future Sight, because, wait a sec, I thought they were on this plane called Ikotana from the Aether Flues. And they are, but they are also on Ravnica. You can have a creature exist on two different planes. We have Baloths on both Dominaria and Zendikar. We have Ornithopters pretty much everywhere. Just because the Narcomoebas seen in Future Sight are from Ikotana doesn't mean they can't also be from Ravnica. And these ones are clearly from Ravnica. And they are pretty cute. As cute as a jellyfish can be. <laughs> so our next card is Sinister Sabotage, which is a card I like a lot. It depicts an it mage whose experiment went awry, but unlike how they usually go off the rails, this is the first one where the Demir sigil has popped up. There's also an interesting bit of flavor text on this card, where Lazav talks about intel they have that there is an invader coming to Ravnica, and until they know more, nothing succeeds. And, you know, that gets me curious about how he got that intel. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. wonder if he intercepted some kind of thing between Rausrek and somebody else, some kind of mind reader or something, read somebody who related to that whole thing. You know, they have their psychic abilities, because you have Psychic Strike and all sorts of other cards that make reference to the Demir's use of telepathy or things of that nature, and if they're just randomly causing people to stop, cause their experiments to fail, no matter whether they know 100% without doubt that they're involved, it could lead to some really interesting things going on. Especially if the people don't really know why they're causing all these experiments to fail, or all these projects to fail, rather. It's also interesting from the perspective that the Demir are not good guys. I see a lot of people saying, oh, the Demir are good guys in this set. Good guys, good guys, good guys. They're trying to keep the status quo. The Demir are not good guys, but they are on the side of Ravnica overall and against whoever this invader is. You know, they might want to take down the guilds, but they want to take down this invader more than that. They have found themselves in a classic anti-hero role where a threat bigger than the threat that they themselves pose has appeared. It's very exciting because Zadok was one of the main villains of the original block and the Demer were still portrayed as fairly villainous in Return to Ravnica. Finally, they get to be quote-unquote good guys. It explains why a lot of the art we see of them are more of the secret agent vibe rather than the, you know, haunting undead vibe. This relates to what we were talking about right before we were recording, that you can have a character or a faction who, although their character is that they're evil, they can still be on the good side. That's what I really like about this, because they're still doing it, it's still the sinister sabotage, but it's for a good reason. Sort of. So the next card we're going to talk about here is Necrotic Wound. 
I want to read the flavor text for this card because it's a very cool look into a small world building detail that we've heard before. So here's the text. The assassins of the Akrand steal toxins from the remains of their previous victims. Which A is cool world building, B is very efficient, very Golgari, and C name drops the Akrand, which is the assassins guild that Vraska belongs to. So that's just a neat tie back into both this kind of esoteric Vorthos tidbit, which, as y'all know already, is the kind of stuff that I go crazy for, and also helps tie Vraska's position as the new guild leader of the Golgari into the flavor text and the world building of specifically Guilds of Ravnica the set. I think you could get the same effect of this card just by not washing your blade. I mean, you're stabbing people. <laughs> it's quite unsanitary. Listen, a hepatitis shiv is very deadly. So the next card we're going to talk about is Legion Warboss. I really like the look of this card. It's kind of like a goblin rabble master, except it's not really rabble. Some people have noted online that it looks like the promoted version of Legion Loyalist. I'm not sure how much of the case that is versus goblins of a certain rank just have a special kind of armor. Legion Warboss's armor looks fairly similar to some other Boros armor we see in this set. But regardless, it's a very cool connection. Other people have noted that it could also be like the Boros Recruit all grown up. But uh, the problem with that is Boros Recruit is a card from like 100 years ago in lore. Uh, maybe more like 80 years ago in lore, 70, 80. So as good as healthcare is on Ravnica, I'm not sure how old goblins can actually get there. I want to believe. <laughs> maybe that's why he got promoted. Don't you be knocking the Boros upward mobility. <laughs> So the next card we have is Wary Okapi. Yeah, Okapis are great. They're real animals. They are the only living relative of giraffes. They live in Central Africa in the jungles and have these kind of zebra-striped back legs and shorter necks than giraffes, but still a very giraffe-like head with ossicones and a very long prehensile tongue. But this creature is listed as an antelope, which is not quite right. We don't have any giraffes in Magic, so that's not a creature type that is going to show up. We do have a lot of their relatives in their clade. So we have antelopes, and we have elk, and we have oxen, and we have sheep, and we have goats, and we have caribou, and we have aurochs. So it's tricky because none of those things really fit what an okapi is. I'm a little miffed because if I was going to print this card, I probably would have just made it a beast rather than force an Okapi into the antelope creature type. But it's a cool word that we get to see on a actual creature in Magic. There's lots of sweet real-world animals that get put on cards because they have weird names. Prowling Pangolin was one of those a long time ago, and now Magic has a bunch of pangolins and it's an actual creature type. So the next card we want to talk about is Amara, Soul of the Accord. Woo! Alright, so Amara really excites me. As an elf player, she, she makes me happy except for one little thing. So what she does, is she, she's a 2-2 two, two for a Celestia Mano, one white, one green. She says, whenever Amara, Soul of the Accord, becomes tapped, create a 1-1 one, one white soldier creature token with lifelink. Now, I get it. We're on Ravnica, we're not doing Elf Tribal, but throw me a bone. 
make it an elf soldier or just make it an elf. But whatever. All I'm 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 just really happy she got a new card and it's actually semi playable because with Convoke that can be really 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 stupid. And you know, Ravnica could have vehicles. We don't know. It's possible. Not likely, but you never know. I really love the fact that she got a new card and it really like I guess the one thing I would have preferred they be elementals instead of like even if they couldn't be elves, to me it would have made more sense for her to be elemental, but maybe in the story she's actually leading Selesnia Selesnian troops out to battle or whatever, so we'll see what happens. But it really surprised me that Soldier is a creature type that they went with instead of elementals or elves or something else. So we'll see. But it's really interesting to see that she got a new card and um, she is still in a somewhat leadership position, it would seem so. Yeah, we're not going to talk about all the world building details from PAX this week. We're probably going to save that to a future episode when we really get into the bulk of what Ravnica is like in this set. But the one detail I will mention is that Tristani, the current guild leader, the three pronged dryads are not talking to each other so if Selesnya's leadership is divided right now Amara might be stepping up into a position and then from a set design standpoint and from a mechanical standpoint I get that the reason she probably makes soldiers is because the Boros are also in the set and they're probably also going to be making soldier tokens and since mentor the Boros mechanic and convoke the Selesnia mechanic both like lots of token creatures and small token creatures. This is probably just a conservation of token space. Two things about this card. Well, three things, actually, because Andrew just reminded me of one. The reason she's not making elementals is because that power was granted to her by Tristani, the three-pronged dryad. And so if Tristani is not getting along, she might not have the power to call those elementals like she did in Return to Ravnica. I'll also mention a lot of people have been asking what accord. I think in general it just means like the harmony meeting of accord. She's the soul of the accord between all Selesnians. The Honda Accord? <laughs> yes, the Honda Accord. You said it, Brian. She's going to pilot vehicles. Not what I had in mind, but sure. <laughs> there are vehicles on Ravnica, and I would be really excited if we saw some of the Izzet vehicles as actual vehicles. The last thing I wanted to mention about Imara is that she has not been nerfed. For those of you out there, there was an issue where her old card got swapped, so this is the first time that she actually looks like the card she should be. And I think we talked about that in a previous cast, so we're not going to get in there. So the next card we want to talk about is Firemind's Research. Earlier, Andrew talked to you about an O copy. Now I'm going to talk to you about A copy. On the card Firemind's Research, you can see the Izzet Guildmaster, Niv-Mizzet, holding what appears to be a spectral version of his face. On the promo version of that same card, you can see him looking into what appears from a distance to be some kind of mirror, inspecting his reflection. If you look closely, you can see some differences in the two faces. The reflection's eyes and mouth are glowing, and you can see bubbles coming from his mouth. And you can see that he's not looking into a mirror at all. This has led people to speculate that the secret project Niv-Mizzet is working on is cloning himself. Another card from this set, Quasi-Duplicate, also features cloning, so perhaps that is an ironic nod to the Guildmaster's secret project. Either that or he's just making a Niv-Mizzet Modoc version. Just going to be the <laughs> Niv head in a little robot body. It's going to be really silly looking. I really want to see a Niv-Mizzet Modoc altar now. 
So the next card we want to talk about here is Ral is it Viceroy, which says a lot because the meaning of the word Viceroy, for instance, you would see it in the British Raj in India, where they essentially, you know, they, they propped up a leader there. So for Ral to be Viceroy rather than a co-leader, it's hinting at his duplicitous nature working with Nicol Bolas that we know of. We can get into etymology here. Roy comes from the French Roy, R-O-I, for king, vice being the second in command. So Americans are familiar with vice president. So a vice Roy is basically the second in command king for when the king needs someone to rule either as a proxy or in a separate colony. So, for example, the British Raj sent someone over to India. Another detail from the PAX panel is that Niv-Mizzet is off working on a secret project, so he's put Ral in charge of the guild for now, so Viceroy also hints that he is running the guild, but as a second-in-command, kind of like when Danny did the race for Kaniki at the end of Greece, but probably doesn't get the girl at the end, unless it's Jace. Could be a love triangle. I don't know. Probably not a very close Greece parallel is what I'm saying. Listen, it doesn't have to be a love triangle. We have polyamory now. That is also correct. Life can be good. He's got the hair for Greece. I'll give him that. The next card we want to talk about is Thought Erasure. This art is so good. I know I said earlier that we're not going to talk about the PAX panel stuff too much, but at the PAX panel, it was mentioned that this set kind of has a film noir vibe in that nobody really knows who to trust and that the demure especially, are pulling from that 40s and 50s film noir aesthetics, a lot of trench coats. And this shot specifically is the Venetian blind shot. This is all over film noir. You can see it as the shady, hazy, everything's not so quite black and white morality of noir worlds and noir stories. So it's really cool to see that being brought into Ravnica and into fantasy, because this is also an urban setting. So it's, in a way, the most modern-looking piece of magic art we've seen almost ever. And that's wild to me, because it's also still just a Demir agent with this blip of memory that is evaporating into nothing because she's destroying it. It's just so very cool. The Demir in this set have really sold me. Next to the Izzet, they're my new favorite guild on Ravnica because of their design in this set. It's really cool. So the next card we want to talk about is Hammer Dropper, which continues the tradition of the sexy abbed heroes in cards, like Enthralling Victor. What I really want to know is who makes his gigantic bottles of conditioner because his hair is fine. That is silky, it is shiny, it is billowing. It's gotta be heavy, he's a giant. But, like, damn, this set has so many people, especially men, with great hair. Ravnica really upped the fashion and fabulousness of this set. So the next few we want to talk about are actual cycles that we're not going to go into individually, but we have a new cycle of guild gates with new art. Each of the guild gates now have three different pieces of art. In Return to Ravnica, they had a zoomed-in and a zoomed-out version of the same piece of art, and they get a completely new one this time around. 
The Shocklands are also back. So looking at Overgrown Tomb, one thing I did want to point out is that the flavor text makes mention of Baraska indeed taking over the Golgari. I'm really interested to see if she actually did completely get rid of Gerard or if he's still lying around somewhere imprisoned at the bottom of her of her fortresses, essentially. Because basically the text says, Cradle of the Golgari's new kingdom, grave of those who wrong its queen. So I, it, I would assume that she's ascended and named herself queen, but uh wonder if she just off Gerard or if he's still there in prison somewhere. So we also get a new cycle of the Richard Wright basic lands, which have appeared in both the original Ravnica and Return to Ravnica. This time around, they've got a much moodier feel, though. They are what I jokingly call the emo lands, because they are much darker and broodier than the previous versions of the same artwork has been. The last bit of lands we want to talk about, though, the basic lands that just blew everyone away, the lands from the upcoming guild kits. Oh, so sexy. I know people like their full art basic lands. They were great when Unglued did them. They were great when Unhinged did them. They were great when Zendikar did them. They were great when Battle for Zendikar did them. They were great when Unstable did them. They were great when Amonkhet did them. They were great when Hour of Devastation did them. But in my opinion, they are no longer the greatest basic lands that Magic has done. Because in each of the guild kits, which are those special decks featuring cards from all three Ravnica blocks... Each of the basic lands for that guild have special art and a special framed text box that features that guild's symbol. So, for example, the Izzet deck, all the mountains have an Izzet breast in the actual text box around the mana symbol and feature art of a very specific Izzet-themed mountain. All the islands have the same Izzet symbol around the water droplet in a very specific is it Island. Over five decks for this set, we're going to get ten basic lands, two for each guild, and the assumption, I think, is that the guild kits will return for Ravnica Allegiance and we'll get the other ten. So what's going to come out of this is that there's going to be a basic land for every single guild with specific art and that fancy text box. So if you like theming your basic lands with whatever your deck is, like for example, Commander, which I hear is a pretty big and popular format. These are just <laughs> mind-blowingly beautiful and specific. So I'm going to let you finish, Andrew, but the Unhinged lands are the best lands of all time. Agree to disagree. Realistically, I'm one of those people who wishes that they would at least do one full art land for each basic land in every set, just so that people who like a specific land in that set could get a full art of that land. But, you know, I, I get it. it. They don't want it to be too special, but you just drop the rarity on them. Make them, like, uncommons or rares so that even your land slot could be rares. But, hey, that's just me. I don't know. Because, like, I have this one favorite land from, my, from Theros for planes. Like, my foil Heliod deck has all of this one plane. It's just beautiful. And it reminds me of Gladiator, but that's, that's off topic. But, basically, I just wish they would have one full art land for every basic land. And just make it an up-shifted rarity as opposed to just being the normal thing. But, you know, that's that's me dreaming, I guess. Well, but you hit on what makes these so cool because you have that one basic land. You just want the same art that reminds you of a thing that is cool with that deck. Ravnica's problem is that 
Ravnica's basics have been very generic and don't have anything to do with the guilds, which are the important part of the set. They're just kind of generic variations of a cityscape. These are the first time we're getting specific guild basics. So if you have a Niv-Mizzet deck, you can have your Izzet basics in there. And while the guild kit versions aren't foil, there are promo versions that are going to be foil. So, like, these are hot fire, and I'm very excited for them. My favorite bit is how it uses the ordinarily boring frame of a basic land, and inside what would be the text box, but is just like the symbol box on a basic land, the watermarks that are the guild symbol framing the land symbol is just magnifique. It's perfect. So we also got previews from the Planeswalker decks, and there are only a couple we really want to talk about. So the first one is Ral's Staticaster, which a Staticaster is just like a, another kind of lightning mage. But what's interesting is between the Staticaster and the promo for Guilds of Ravnica with the Izzet, the number of Viashino we're seeing on the Izzet side is very interesting to me. I wonder if part of the Faustian bargain that resulted in little to no Viashino on Dominaria has resulted in a whole bunch more of them in Guilds of Ravnica than there might have been otherwise. More Lizard Wizards, please. Lizard Wizards. <laughs> the other card we want to talk about is Attendant of Vraska, where we're finally seeing the erstwhile, the army that Mazarek unearthed for her couple years ago now in a story around one of the commander releases it was not a couple years ago it was last year was it really just last year now Mazarek's card had been out for a while before the story oh it was the story that came out around the anthology moving on to magic story unbowed part two or unbowed part two depending on how you want to pronounce it both work for this story and part three, because that came out on Friday last week. And we're just gonna summarize them together. So Vivian, after being knocked unconscious at the end of the last story, part one, she is tortured physically at first, that she resists well. She loses like three teeth. It's okay, she probably got them healed anyway. She was specifically healed by the nuns after being tortured. Good point. So after she is tortured, she's put into a much more effective torture where she is put into isolation where all she has to keep her company is the magic toilet that she experiments with to see what it will and will not dissipate. I like the idea of there exists magic that can differentiate between shoes and poop. That's really <laughs> helpful magic, like very intelligent. I mean, our AI is not that smart. You know, this one thing solves so many world-building problems with magic. Namely, where do they poop? Literally, that's what I was thinking when I was reading this story. I was like, when it, as soon as it mentioned there's a chamber pot in there, I was like, okay, so they're probably gonna conveniently not mention that. And then they did, and that just made my life. And that's all I'll say about that. Eventually, after being isolated for she doesn't know how long, she agrees to see the Baron because she's just, like, straight up bored at this point and anything is preferable to the isolation. She walks in on probably one of the most horrific things we see in magic outside of Phyrexia or New Phyrexia, where the Baron has vivisected the Monstrosaur alive 
it is not even explicitly described, but it is obliquely described, and it is rather horrifying to read. Vivian ends up agreeing to show them how to use the arc bow, and she taps it on the ground three times. The mechanism opens up with this white light, and the alloy of the arc bow is mentioned. It's not described, but it is some sort of magical alloy, which seems to absorb the monstrosaur's spirit inside the arc bow. And Vivian notes that there's like a greater power in there at this point. One of the vampires is brought in to test the bow again, and when this vampire tries to use it, he basically just explodes from the inside, which is, a, I guess, an effective deterrent for people using your bow that you don't want to use your bow. In the aftermath, Vivian sees her means of escape and essentially casts giant growth on a spider she notices, which immediately sets itself upon the room. What I loved about that scene is that it was a regular spider, and she cast giant growth, and then the actual story on the website used the art for giant spider. So if you want to make a giant spider, just find a regular spider and cast giant growth. It's like so mathematically simple and so obvious, but I think was really effective as a kind of a visual storytelling thing. Vivian then releases the monstrosaur, and she notices that it's far more powerful and destructive than any of the other summons she has inside the Arcbow. And I thought it was cool that they referred to it as summons, because we've talked about the flavor of summoning on this show before. What she does is essentially summoning. It's just a different flavor to the summoning that we already know. The Monstrosaur leads the way out of where she is inside the Menagerie, leads her past where all the other animals in the menagerie are caged, and Vivian ends up freeing them all, and in addition to that, essentially casting giant growth on all of them as well. We get the art for Uncaged the Menagerie to go along with this, and they just completely demolish Lido, or what, what was it called? Lunao. Lino, Whichever. I, I don't care. It's gone now. Uh, because all these <laughs> animals destroyed it. <laughs> At the end of this, Vivian comes to the realization how easy it is to strip the arc bow away from her, and she decides to figure out a way to fix that, and figures that newfound power of the monstrosaur that lasted and was so much more vibrant than any of her other summons, and she decides, you know, what's, what's more ferocious than a monstrosaur? A dragon. She mentions hearing about shivan dragons. So the next time we see her, she might be on Shiv. Well, she is on Shiv at the end of the story. What's really interesting is that she has reiterated through the story that she is looking for power to get back at Bolas. And boy howdy, isn't it strange that we're heading into a whole year of magic story where Nicol Bolas is the final boss. I wonder if this is going to lead into anything there. I guess we'll have to see. I was thinking while reading that, you know, while reading the story and that being from Evasion, I was thinking, man, when she meets the Gatewatch, it's going to be like, well, wouldn't you know it? That's actually exactly what we're on the way to do. So why don't you just hop on in and we'll go together. Funny how that works out. I'm really disappointed that we didn't get an Arpo equipment now. I want this. I need this. That, like, destroy target creature and then you can create a copy of it? Yeah, we got Nissa's sword, right? So... Why, why can't we get the arc bow? We got Spear of Helio, too. And Godsend! Give me this arc bow, please. 
And the Black Blight. And the Chain Veil. It took like four years to get the Chain Veil, four or five years, so Fair. we'll get there. So what did you all think about the metaphysics of the arc bow? I'm very intrigued by this alloy that they describe, because these new alloys have always seemed to be important for various things in the multiverse, like flowstone and ethereum and things like that. So I wonder if it's one of those, and that's why they didn't name it, or if it's supposed to be something new with new magical properties. Because, you know me, I love the metaphysics of this stuff. Or hell, even Nyx. Like, the Nyx Forge weapons are kind of different as well, so... Like, it could be one of those plane-centric kind of metals that is exclusive to that plane. With Gala being destroyed, it might not exist anymore. Speaking of which, Vivian mentions in one of these stories that Nicol Bolas referred to the destruction of her home plane as a mercy. That is intriguing to me, because I wonder why specifically he would say that. Because he's a liar. Could be. Could be. So that's about all we have time for today. Let's move on to final thoughts. My final thought is, I need to come up with better ones now that Dredion Kaladesh has been revealed. Although, I am kind of disappointed that it's Ingenious Iconoclast, because... I can't fit him in any of my commander decks right now. I'm going to have to look and see how to do it. I wish I could build around him as a commander, but I unfortunately can't. But I'm so happy. He looks like he's having the time of his life on Kaladesh, so I'm very happy with the card overall. I just wish it was either a new version of Doretti or the one I could replace as the head of my Doretti deck. Andrew? What I think I loved most about this Vivian story is how much it put emphasis on texture over text. The difference being, in three episodes of the story, there isn't a whole lot of plot. So there's not a lot of actual story moments that happen. But we get a lot of descriptions and a lot of feelings and a lot of emotions. What Cassandra does is build a very horrific world in episode one. And in episode two, we reinforce the horror, but instead of on the grand colonial level, it's on this very personal level with the imprisonment and torture of Vivian. And then the third episode is the cathartic release when Vivian figures out her plan to escape and use the arc bow, and the menagerie gets released, and Luno just gets destroyed. And there's a small description of her riding on a monstrosaur's head as this wave of animals just destroys the entire city. It feels so good at the end to me when that happens because of all the horror that we endured during the previous two episodes. Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom sort of does this, but it paints its villains as 80s arms dealer villains that are just despicable people. Whereas Luno is this entire horrific system, and very specifically horror and not action movie villain. There's a different emotional texture to that, and we haven't seen this kind of animal liberation story told in that way before, and I just think that's awesome. So kudos Cassandrakov for writing a very unique take on that kind of story and introducing the world to Vivian Reed. Brian? All I know is that when we finally get the Arc Bow equipment, I hope it lets me find as many Charging Monster stores as possible. 
I want them to be like relentless rats. Like if I'm in a draft scenario, I want to be able to go find one out of anybody's deck and just stick it into play on my side every turn. That was really cool, and I really liked the thought of like, you know, she can constantly resummon this monster, and it's kind of like what we do when we're playing Magic, right? We might essentially draw four of the same creature, and we're doing the same exact thing as she was, and it really made me think about the metaphysics of what we're doing when we're playing Magic to a certain extent. So it was, it was really cool, and I, I do think that that would be really cool if we just get to go find treasure. I'm with you there. That's exactly the kind of stuff that I think about when I'm in the shower. How does this work? What is really happening? All right, Ashley, what are your final thoughts? My final thought is that tomorrow I'm moving back to the city, so perfect timing for Guilds of Ravnica. I'm going to be back in that cityscape mood, and hopefully Bolas doesn't show up. If you also don't want Bolas showing up in your hometown, boy, do I have a solution for you. The Vorthos cast has a Patreon that you can donate and support and keep the show running. And if you do, we can guarantee to protect you from evil invading Elder Dragon Archmage Planeswalkers. Guaranteed! Along with that, you can also get access to our friendly Discord community, where we have Vorthoses from around the world coming to discuss magic, life, games. Very exciting. There's tons of dog pictures. There are so many great pets on that channel. So if you love that kind of stuff and love being part of the Vorthos community and want to get to know other Vorthoses around the world, head over to patreon.com slash thevorthoscast, support the show today, and we thank everyone who has supported us in the past, in the present, in the future, beyond time itself. Thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthoscast.